As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Hello and welcome back to Pod on the Tyne, your go-to Newcastle United podcast brought to you by The Athletic. My name's Taylor Payne and coming up on this week's show... Willock on the brink, but is Joe our only transfer target? Last term's underachievers, can any of the current squad level up? And with the accounts published this week and the first match looming, what does success look like for Newcastle United? Welcome along to Pod on the Time, your definitive weekly podcast on Newcastle United from The Athletic. As I said before, I'm Taylor Payne and I'm delighted to be joined in typical pre-season trepidation by club correspondent Mr Chris Wolf. Hello Chris, how are you? I'm very good, thank you. I'm very, very good. Still, we're still riding. I was going to say we're riding solo, but there's two of us, isn't it? So George is still having. <laughs> so we're some... not we're riding duo, are we? He has extended break after his international duty, so he's still off. Yeah, it's just me and you. So it's still the pre-season tour. You've still got the most of the youth team involved here, and then the senior players are going to come back next week. That's what we're that's what we're dealing with. And I imagine he'd be suitably refreshed and suitably grumpy. <laughs> Yes, exactly. That long that long summer break has just given him more time to be even more grumpy when he comes back. That's what that's going to be. Oh, man, how are you doing anyway? Are you good? Uh, I am not too bad, thank you. I'm pleased that finally we may have some po- positive things to be talking about Newcastle United-wise. Yeah, it, it's weird, isn't it, Chris? Because it feels like lots happened, but then it feels like absolutely nothing's changed. Do you know what I mean? I know exactly what you mean, and also the the positive news that we're hopefully talking about is, and this is so it is currently one fourteen p.m. BST, uh, so at the moment, Joe Willock is not yet confirmed, but 
as my colleague David Ornstein broke over the weekend. A fee was agreed with Arsenal in excess of £20 million. Subsequently, there have been a few sort of issues to iron out personal terms-wise, and I'm told that's not to do with wages. A few other issues, though, which take a little bit of time. Just before I come on a record, I've had indications that there hopefully has been a breakthrough, and so by the time the podcast comes out, Joe Willock may even be a Newcastle United player. I, I do not know, but at this stage, it's, sound, it's sounding positive or more positive on that front and yes Newcastle will in that sense be back to the strength that they were towards the end of last season I mean that sounds about right Chris doesn't it because they normally wait until we hit the record button on this podcast before they announce any big news they do yeah I mean it's just that they're they're, I think they deliberately wait for that moment which is fair enough on their part you know so you know just Shits and giggles on their part. Charlie's sitting thinking, I'll just wait until Chris Woff gets online and then we'll let's <laughs> let's piss him off. <laughs> I, I very much imagine that, yeah. Yes, I'm sure Lee Charlie spends most of his days plotting your demise. I think that's what it is, Chris. <laughs> anyway, uh, before we crack on, uh, big thanks to everyone who got in touch with myself and Chris on the real-time section of the Athletic app and on Twitter. We asked for questions this week, hoping for one or two good ones, and we actually got loads and loads and loads of really good ones. So apologies in advance. Uh, we won't be able to cover all of them, but we will throw in a few here and there as we go through this particular episode. Also, if you were listening last week, uh, you'll know all about that great Callum Wilson interview with Alan Shearer on The Athletic. That's definitely worth a read if you haven't seen it yet. And there's lots more where that came from on the site this week. Chris had a look at Jamal Lewis and more on that later and uh, the extremely late publishing of the club accounts. Uh, And he also teamed up with our third leg, George Colgan. Uh, for the inside story on Graham Jones. Chris, Graham Jones, is, uh, his standing in the world of football certainly gone up over the summer, hasn't it? It certainly has. It's been quite the year for Graham Jones, 2021. Comes back to his, his, his boyhood club, the club that he used to come to with his dad, and he speaks to anyone who knows him, and they'll tell you that, that, that he really does hold a huge affinity to the club. And the, I think there was one regret when he arrived was that unfortunately his, his father was no longer here to actually see him be involved in, in the club so he's been in the round of castle a turbulent first few months but then was part of alongside Steve Bruce the success of the latter part of the season when Newcastle managed to pull away from the relegation zone so there was the, the, the real lows of Brighton but then the highs towards the end of the season and eventually got called up and was there with the England uh, squad as part of the coaching setup there so George and I spoke to various people in and around Newcastle in England. George spoke to both Connor Cody and then also when Alan Shearer spoke to Cal Wilson, got in a few questions there about uh, Graham Jones. And, and uh, I uh, spoke to various of the people who've been in and around Newcastle or have been involved with Graham Jones previously to try and find out basically uh, th- basically what's happened to him this year. What what does he do at Newcastle? The changes he's made, how him and Steve Bruce dovetail, that sort of strange dynamic that was created by him arriving. And yeah, there's a there's a there's a long piece on the athletic which uh, hopefully people can go on and, and find out a little bit about Graham Jones and his impact. And of course the club accounts were released this week, Chris, late as usual. Um and and I'm sure there's gonna be all kinds of analysis on those from people who are much more uh, worldly-wise about those type of things. But um, what's the kind of general feeling about the club accounts from from your point of view? So the club accounts are actually for 13 months rather than 12 months because oh. Newcastle are the only Premier League club who did this. They extended the period to cover the entire 2019-20 season, given that it extended into 13 months. I spoke to Kieran Maguire of the uh, Price of Football podcast and uh, a lecturer on football finance, excellent person to speak to and always brilliant as insight he sort of said on that front that he actually thought it made a lot of sense because it included the figures together there but that sort of it makes it difficult to compare year on year and also with other clubs 
Um, I mean, relatively, I don't want to go into too many figures because it, these things can be quite boring, but in terms of relatively when Newcastle compared to other clubs, given the impact of COVID-19, they've held up relatively well. As I say, the figures have changed slightly because of 13 months, but they had made, I think it was, they made a profit in seven of the last nine years. The only two years they haven't made a profit, first of all, was in the championship in 2016-17, and then last year, given this. And the, the the figures the year after will be a lot worse, but relative to the rest of the Premier League are all right. I suppose the main headline figures from it, in terms of which the, the key points which frustrated a lot of people, I think, were, first of all, Lee Charnley's salary, which increased by 152.8%. To clarify that, that is... Um, that's 13 months, so it's not actually that much, but it's still more than a 100% increase in salary, so up to 675000 which in a relative Premier League sense isn't that high, but given everything that's gone on at Newcastle in the last couple of years and the lack of communication, I can understand why people are frustrated. And then the other point is uh, the Coronavirus Job Retention Scheme, or CGRS as it's shown in the accounts, that's furlough, with the furlough scheme which Newcastle United have, have taken have, have used which is to take money from the government to pay 80% of employee wages that basically up to July 31st, 2020, Newcastle had received 1.15 million in public money to pay their employees at the time when their playing staff are receiving an average of around £52,000 a week uh, for their wages. If the accounts are taken into account and then changed to a 12-month period, it does, the optics of it aren't great. So there are a few of the points which are covered in the accounts, but there are far more and explainer piece that I've done uh, on The Athletic as well. Well, there we go. Thank you very much, Chris, for that. A fantastic summing up of the situation. Uh, to read all that great content, uh, you will need a subscription to The Athletic. But wait, there just happens to be a great introductory offer right now. So if you subscribe to The Athletic before the start of the new Premier League season, you'll get a 33% discount. Uh, that's a third off the regular price. You'll get the same great analysis and in-depth features from all the very best football writers around, including our Christopher Waffles here, uh, as well as ad-free versions of all of the podcasts, including this one. Uh, so get yourself to theathletic.com forward slash Newcastle pod before the 13th of August for a third off the price of a subscription. That's theathletic.com forward slash Newcastle pod. Hurry yourselves along and do that now. Hello, I'm Mark Chapman. This is what we've got planned for you across the Athletic Podcast Network this season. The Ornstein and Chapman podcast has been rebranded as the Athletic Football Podcast. We'll release four episodes across the week as our journalists bring you the very best insight into the biggest stories in football and the business of sport. Michael Cox will continue to bring you the smartest analysis of all the big games in the Athletic Football Tactics podcast. Adam Hurry will now host two episodes of the Football Clichés podcast every single week with his usual take on the game. There's a brand new athletic FPL podcast with our fantasy football expert, the FPL General, giving you all the advice you need to stay ahead of your mates and top of the FPL rankings. And the Athletic Podcast Network is also home now to host of club-specific shows, some of which are going to be releasing multiple episodes every week. And we're now your destination, don't forget, for the Totally Football Show with James Richardson and the Totally Football League Show. And that is it. We can't fit any more in. All you've got to do is search for The Athletic in your podcast provider of choice or go to our podcast section on The Athletic app. Not surprisingly, with all of the stuff that I've just mentioned, The Athletic is now the world's biggest football podcast network. 
coming you, Maggie's. Right then, moving on. So, Chris, Joe Willock, apparently the club have agreed a fee, somewhere around £20 million, something like that for Joe Willock. What's the latest on all this? Yeah, so as I mentioned uh, at the start of the pod, my understanding is that, well, as of David Ornstein, my the athletic colleague, put over the weekend, fee in excess of £20 million. I think it'll have add-ons in it as well, and there's even been reports there was also a sell-on clause that was agreed over the weekend, but subsequently it took a little bit of time to sort of iron a few bits and bobs out with Joe Willock. Personal terms told not really to do wages, or a few of the issues, but it's sounding like just before we came on air that it was going to be, it looks like it's going to be sorted. So it may even be sorted by the time we come, this podcast comes out. I mean, it may not be, but that certainly as of, as of the time of recording, things are sounding a lot, very, 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 very positive on that front. Good, good stuff. Willock's definitely one of those players that I think will improve the squad uh, from where it is at the moment. But obviously that is, if he comes in, that basically brings the, the first team at least back to where it was last season, doesn't it? So is, is Willock really improving us? Or uh, obviously it's a long-term signing and he'll be coming in permanently, but the squad hasn't really improved, has it, Chris? No, the squad itself hasn't improved uh, materially because of Willock. I think he do, I think he did improve the team when he came into the team last year. So I think it puts Newcastle back towards the what the way towards the end of last season. I mean, we didn't see Willock, Sam Maximan, and Wilson together too much. So hopefully, if they can all stay fit, then it allows Newcastle to to really uh, cement their starting eleven and get their starting eleven out of the pitch a lot more, which has struggled to do last season. So no, that there, there needs to be further strength. I mean, what Steve Bruce still is looking for. I think he wants a minimum of another two players if possible. Uh, number six is what I'm told, a sort of combative midfielder, someone with a bit of energy, a bit of bait. I mean, essentially, it sounds like Isaac Hayden, really, but that sort of a player anyway. Sort of a double pivot midfielder, sort of somebody, somebody like that, Chris. Yeah. Someone who could fit in a double pivot, but how do you play in a single pivot, I think? It was wow, a single, single pivot. That, you're that, mad, you, that, Chris. That, that, oh, God. <laughs> that um, the five-three-two formation they played towards the end of last season is what they've played all the way through pre-season is what I'm told they want to play this season as well and that's where a lot of their transfer business is focused on players who can fit into that so the other player you'd ideally like is a centre-back uh, potentially a left-sided centre-back although I'm told they don't have to be left-footed um, and they did want Axel Twanzebe they put in a little great inquiry, name that isn't it it, it is a great name. It's a really good name. I'd sign him based on his name alone. I've never seen him play, but that's that's amazing. <laughs> but he's ended up going back to Aston Villa. I think for the third time he's gone on loan then. Newcastle, I think, will put off a little bit by the loan fee that Man United were asking for. So they're still looking on that front. I think that more signings will follow, but they're likely to be loan deals. The suggestion, certainly, from the recruitment department has been that Newcastle could maybe afford one permanent deal, which obviously will be Joe Willock, and I think they've really stretched the budget in many ways to do that. They've found money from elsewhere for that, and then they're likely to try and take advantage of the two loan slots if possible. It's interesting, isn't it, Chris? Newcastle over the last few seasons seem to have loaded up their squad with wide midfielders and wingers and are now insistent on playing in a formation without any wingers or wide midfielders. Well, exa- exactly. Very much. I mean, there's an interesting <laughs> in the programme at the weekend for the Norwich game. It's an, There's an interview, really good interview. Tommy Stubby, uh, the club reporter, has, has, has interviewed uh, Ryan Fraser for the, for the programme. And he says that he is basically learning how to play as a number eight because that's why he's been playing 
and that's why he's most likely to get at the team this season. And Ryan Fraser, what do you think of Ryan Fraser? Winger, pace, really good at crossing the yeah. box, and suddenly he's having to think a different position. So it's very strange, isn't it? It's all. I mean, there must be some sort of grand plan reasoning behind it all. I would hope. So, Chris, this brings us uh, nicely onto our first question. Um, Tom Zima, uh, Tom Zima, or Zima, 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 I don't know. Um, potato, tomato. Uh, is Newcastle uh, uh, paying an, an inflated price, price for Willock uh, based on unsustainable production? Or does the price, within reason, even matter based on the seeming, uh, the seeming lack of alternatives? I think it's an interesting question. I do think that the the price increased dramatically during the final few weeks of last season when Joe Willock scored seven and seven. Yeah, um, that will happen. Which won't is it? <laughs> yeah, which is an unsustainable rate, and I, that that's where I feel for Joe Willock a little bit. Come back Newcastle in that sense, and that it's there's going to be sort of unrealistic expectations that he's never going to be able to fulfil in that sense. And I hope that people, I'm sure people will accept that and realise that. But if he doesn't, say if he doesn't score in the first six or seven games, then suddenly it's like, oh, he just signed a play and doesn't score a goal. I, I, I just think that in the in the current market, given the given that he's England qualified, given that um just given that the production he has, given he's twenty one, I do think that it's it seems a high price in some ways, but I think just, just everything that's out there, I can I can understand why Arsenal are holding out for that. They want they want money to be able to reinvest in their squad and it, it I'd say the one thing that does concern me a little bit is there hasn't seemingly been loads and loads of competition from. There was a yeah. tentative interest from Monaco. I think he was offered reportedly to Leicester as part of a deal for James Madison and I also think that there was a couple of other London clubs who maybe had a little sniff of them but nobody else has gone for that price but because he made such an impact at Newcastle I can see why um, they've gone to that value and I think that actually I'd applaud Newcastle for actually spending money rather than we tell them that they don't do it enough so I think in this instance fair enough yeah. I don't think it's a bad price, you know, Chris. I know it's. I know some people are saying it's a bit overinflated, and, and and he hasn't played that many games. He's not that proven. But I mean, you consider what we paid for Jacob Murphy a few years ago, and, and you consider some of the other money money being spent on young English talent. Um, I think I think that price for Joe Willock's not bad, and I think if he can, even if he can come in and 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 do half as well as what he did last season, I think I think we've got ourselves a bit of a deal there, you know. Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't disagree with you, and I think that it's a, I think it's a positive sign and all around. Really, I mean, there's there's different ways you can nitpick at it, but if Newcastle managed to bring Joe Willock back, certainly on a permanent deal, which at one stage of summer looked like wasn't going to be possible, yeah, I think that is a real positive. Definitely. Um, moving on to the next question, um, at Jordi Swaga, Sauga, I'm not sure how to pronounce some of these names, <laughs> Mrs. Swaga, Jordi, right, I'm, I don't know. Uh, has the Willock signing, uh, should it go through, increased your interest in the upcoming season? I mean, Chris, you always have an interest in the upcoming season, don't you, regardless of what's going on? Well, I'm contractually obliged to, so... Yeah. Um... <laughs> But kind of it, helps, doesn't it? It helps when we come to record the podcast if we've got some kind of interest in Newcastle. <laughs> exactly. I wouldn't say it's increased my interest. I'd say that it's given it's given me a little bit more enthusiasm after yeah. all of the, the the fear that it was just going to be sort of rinse and repeat of the last two seasons. I think Willock signing could maybe give it a little bit more interest. How about you? Well, for me, from a, from a fan's point of view... Um, I kind of, I kind of thought Willock was probably the bare minimum that we that we needed to get back. Um, I thought, you know, if not him, then somebody in his mould in that position. Um, as far as increasing the interest in the upcoming season, I mean, at the minute, my my interest in the upcoming season is pretty pretty small. I'll be honest. I'm I'm not feeling the I'm not feeling the love right now as far as Newcastle United's concerned. Um, but 
you know, it's it's hard, Chris, isn't it? The club always feels like it's just in this limbo and like it doesn't matter what we do, really. We're we're kind of doomed to the the, the bottom half of the table. We'll Ashley won't, uh, you know, won't suddenly become this amazing benevolent owner. He's 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 going to be. He's going to be Mike Ashley, uh, and we've got Steve Bruce, and we know the limitations there, and we know the limitations of the squad. Um, and I'm, I know I'm taking George's place here as the grumpy, grumpy guts of the podcast. But, but to me, I just want a bit more. Do you know what I mean? I just want a little bit more. And I don't know whether that comes with the messaging from the club and and the kind of noises that come out of the club, and you know the the various headlines that we've seen about the takeover and all that sort of stuff. It all just kind of comes on top of it, on top of each other, doesn't it? And you end up feeling slightly deflated before a ball's even been kicked. I don't know if you can kind of, uh, you know, if you can, if you understand that from from your point of view, but from my point of view, I'm finding it very difficult to be enthused at the minute. I perfectly understand that. And I, I wouldn't say that I, I wouldn't describe myself as actually enthused. I said I was more enthused in terms of, in a relative <laughs> sense, given what there yeah. was before, given, <laughs> given if you'd asked me a fortnight ago yeah. when Newcastle hadn't signed anyone and it was just the same sort of limbo, at least, at least, Joe Willett gives it the smallest bit of impetus going into the new season. But listen, Chris, obviously because I'm a fickle Geordie idiot, if we win the first game 2-0, I'll be I'll be in there top off, face painted black and white, you know, the whole the whole works. <laughs> you know me, Chris, you know that's the way I like to behave. Um. <laughs> This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League 1? FX's Welcome to Wrexham premieres May 2nd on FX. Stream on Hulu. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. So, um, Carlito83 as well on uh, on Twitter has also asked, is Willock going to be the only signing? Uh, and if not, which position will be the priority? So we've said that he's, he's looking at a number six um, and a centre-back as well. Is there any is there anything else that, that Newcastle are looking at at the moment? They're what I'm told are the priority positions. I know a lot of people out there think that Newcastle need to sign a forward. We asked Bruce about this a couple of weeks ago and he'd sort of almost suggested that uh, he thought that there were well covered in that position but given that Andy Carroll is no longer in Newcastle play you can argue what impact Carroll actually had means he's a free agent doesn't it Chris <laughs> he's a free agent yeah <laughs> don't rule anything out Chris don't well, rule I, out the I, third I, coming I, I, of the bench and I really, I really come on wouldn't, I really wouldn't actually um, but but given that Newcastle are actually one number down it does seem a little bit strange but he, he he's prioritising elsewhere and I, I think the next focus will be on a centre back Kel Watts has just gone out on loan to Wigan Athletic. He did quite well in pre-season, early in pre-season. I think he, Steve Bruce said he was impressed by what he'd done, but it was always a case with Kel Watts as he would come back and when Newcastle had players away who were still on holiday after national duty, that he would play a little bit 
then once I came back, was always likely to head out on loan again. So with Florian Lejeune having left and Newcastle looking to play three centre-backs, Steve Bruce wants another one. I mean, in theory, he actually still has quite a few who can play there, although Paul Dummett is injured at the moment. He has Fabian Scher. He has Federico Fernandez, Kieran Clark, And then he also has... Uh, uh, Emil Kraft, who's been playing as a right centre back, and I think he's going to play there more and more this season, particularly if they're playing with with the with three man central defence. And also mm-hmm. Isaac Hayden's even played there, yeah, at times. Right, yeah. So he has quite and a even few John Joe Shelby there. at times as well. Well, yes, even John Joe Shelby is, is the middle <laughs> defender late in games. Hopefully, that won't be something which no. is repeated too often. I don't want to say that anymore, please. Yes, it's interesting. It's very interesting. The squad in the wider context of the squad, let's say, you know, let's say Willock is our only transfer business, then we definitely need some improvement from those players who are in there, don't we? Yeah, I mean, I don't think Willock will be the only sign. I think that Newcastle will sign other players on loan, be it one or two. They have those two loan slots. Loans tend to happen later in the window or certainly the, the sort of loans Newcastle are looking at. Again, it's the, the same reason as why Kel Watts was delayed going out. If you look at the sort of bigger clubs a lot of their players have only just returned from international duty now. And so they've had to keep other players around. They haven't been able to sign who they want yet. And so people tend to move out later in the window when they're seen as being surplus to requirements or a young player they're going to send out on loan. So I think Newcastle will sign one or two more yet. Sam Cook on Twitter has asked, uh, have NUFC and UFC played this transfer window perfectly PR-wise? All I see is people saying, we've had a good window if we sign Willock, when the squad will be weaker than the second half of last season. We've been conditioned to accept going backwards. Do you agree with that, Chris? Do you think we are conditioned to accept going backwards at Newcastle? I think that there's a sort of reluctant acceptance of the position that Newcastle find themselves in, as I might ask you, that that isn't going to change. Have they played it PR-wise brilliantly? I mean, I don't, I don't think so, because they've taken this long Do Newcastle play anything get... PR-wise brilliantly? Well, I don't think they do, do they? Well, well exactly. And so I, I, I don't think it is some sort of, sort of cynical PR ploy to try to get it that way. I see where he's coming from, and I do think that they need to strengthen further. But equally... My argument throughout a large part of last season, and I think that this was shared by at least some people, was that the Newcastle squad was actually better than the position they were shown for large parts of last season. And so, therefore, it's about, as you said before, extracting more from the squad, making, trying to keep them fit for a start, trying to keep them fit and out on the pitch, but also then getting the best 11 out as much as possible. And if they do that, then I think Newcastle have a comfortable mid-table squad, certainly with attacking players. Definitely. Well, let's have a little thing about that in, in a bit more detail and we'll, we'll have a little look at the squad. Um, let's talk about that midfield because midfield is an area that Steve Bruce has wanted to strengthen and, you know, he's been looking for a box-to-box player and all sorts of things for a couple of years now. Um, Shelby and Hayden, it's an interesting one, this. They're very different players, but are they competing for one position in that team? They are very different players and, and I suppose in some ways that they are. Initially, when Newcastle moved to this Five three two three five two system, whatever whatever you want to call it, uh, towards the end of last season. Hayden was the sitting midfielder, and then Shelby was slightly further ahead. And then a couple of games in, it, it moved around, and and Hayden went to play primarily out on the left because Willick, or well, the left of the three, because Willick was the was on the right, and. It didn't seem to really suit Isaac Hayden's a bit. I mean, what does Isaac Hayden bring? Isaac Hayden brings that that sort of. Uh, dynamism in the tackle, the ability to cover a bit of ground, but but mainly is a, is a sort of enforcer, for want of a better term. So when I'm going to nick the ball and then, and then, and then give it on. And when he was asked to play in a, almost as a number eight, one of the two number eights as this system seems to, to bring in, it just didn't quite suit him. I think he did an admirable job, but it didn't quite suit him. Where Shelby is sitting in that in that deep line role, and, and it was interesting that over the weekend, Steve Bruce talked about how important a player Shelby is, because he's the one who can 
can bring uh, can spray the passes going forward. And you actually saw that against Norwich. He came on at half yeah. time. Yeah, he did. And Newcastle it made a huge impact. It also made a huge impact bringing Fraser and Sam Maxman on. Newcastle had pace on the break. Norwich played a high line, and Shelby was repeatedly finding them with with those passes. So. I think to an extent they are competing for one position. As I mentioned earlier, Hayden has played as a right centre-back, so I think that he may shift a few positions this season as well. He's got the versatility of, of playing anywhere across that midfield, even if it doesn't always suit him there, and then also playing as a as a right-sided centre-back, and even as in an emergency case as, as a right wing-back, although I wouldn't necessarily want to see him there very much. So are they competing for one position? Maybe they can be in the same team, but I think ideally they would both be in that one position. And at the minute, I think... Uh, that Bruce is, is looking more towards Shelby for that position, although he is, as I say, looking for a number six in the transfer market as well. So what's going on with the long staffs at the moment? And this is a, a question from Andrew S on the Athletic app as well. Um, Bruce's comments about being light in midfield seem, seem to be a, a bit of a thinly veiled statement that he doesn't consider the Longstaff brothers viable options. Yes, so Bruce said a couple of times that Newcastle were very, very short in midfield, and this is obviously before the sort of Willock agreement was was in place. And numbers-wise, that wasn't necessarily true. I mean, Shelby was out injured, and Miguel Almiron, who has been playing in midfield towards the end of last season, was still on holiday after his international duty. But they did have four midfielders in terms of senior midfielders. He still had the, the both uh, long staffs, Matty and Sean. He had Isaac Hayden, and he had Jeff Hendrick. But it was basically what he was saying is, I don't. I'm very, very short in terms of the profile of midfielder that I want. And it's since I've switched to as I was saying about the transfer direction this summer has very much been for that 3-5-2 formation. How are Newcastle going to fit into this system? Which players will fit it? And Joe Willock seems to ideally suit it as that sort of number eight sort of player. And seemingly those other players don't. In, in terms of the long staffs, Matty is in a very difficult situation because he's on pretty good wages for someone who hasn't played that much football. And uh, because he hasn't played that much football, I think a lot of Certainly championship clubs and, well, definitely Premier League clubs, but certainly even championship clubs are a little bit reluctant to, mm, to maybe to make chance, that investment yeah. in him. Yeah, and he's in the last year of his contract. So if Newcastle send him out on loan, they're essentially paying him to play for someone else for the for the last year. So he's in a, he's in a pretty tricky situation, I think, and his career really has stagnated, which is really sad to see. It's a shame, isn't it? It is a real shame. With Sean, it's slightly different. I mean, he's also into the final year of his contract. Um, I think that he isn't necessarily one of... Bruce favourites. There was periods where he was in and out of the team last year. He did well towards the end of last season, but there was about two and a half months where he, d- he didn't play at all. And again, does it, he was trying to play into this number eight position, and I think he was actually starting to, to look quite good in it. But if Joe Willock comes back in, Joe Willock will be first choice on one side. You'd have thought Almiron or Fraser will be the other, quote-unquote, number eight in the team. And then where does where does Sean Longstaff fit in? I think that there's, a, there's not beyond the realms of possibility that he could leave, whether it's this window or whether it's, it's it's next summer when maybe he could leave on a free transfer. But I think at the minute, his long-term Newcastle future has to be in question. Oh, yes, indeed it does. Uh, and speaking of Ryan Fraser as well, you've just mentioned him there. He was a bit of a disappointment last year, but he looked bright for, Sc- bright for Scotland in the summer uh, and has been very bullish about improving this year. Um, Thomas F on the Athletic app asked, which Ryan Fraser do you think will turn up this season? Well, I'd like to think that we'll see a lot more from Ryan Fraser. There were a few bursts where we saw what he can bring last season with his a few times where he played and his set-piece delivery was really good and there was a few times he got crosses in, but it was very stop-start season for him and he, he, 
the lack of pre-season, as Steve Booth said towards the end of last year, for Ryan Fraser was key. And I think that wasn't just, it was compounded by the fact that he hadn't played for Bournemouth for about yes, six months right. as well. Yeah. So yeah. He, he came into Newcastle without that sort of baseline fitness and it really affected him. And so I think having come back earlier than a lot of the others on international duty and he's had a full pre-season behind him, I really think that he can he can perform a lot better this season. Whether number eight in this sort of system is ideally suited to him. I think he may also get an opportunity potentially if there's injuries as one of the two forwards as he did towards the end of last season. Whether they're ideally suited to his attributes, I'm not 100% convinced on that. Yeah, I certainly think we'll see a lot more from this season. Good, good, good. Hopefully, fingers crossed. Um, he's, a, he's a good little player, Ryan Fraser. I would lo- I'd love to see him have a little breakout year and and put some real put put some real numbers together, you know, and get some goals and some assists and, and become a, a regular part of the team. I think a, a fully functioning Fire and Ryan Fraser could be a good asset in Newcastle. Okay, so thinking about the fullbacks, we've already spoke about the centre backs in a little bit of detail, so we'll skip over those. Um, Jamal Lewis, Chris, you, you've uh, you've been having a little look at him this week. Uh, also, uh, we've got the right backs on the other side as well, Mankio. Uh, those guys need to progress as well. But Jamal Lewis, what what what's going on there with him? Because he kind of flattered to deceive last year a little bit, didn't he? And there was times he was in the squad and out of the squad. And I'm not sure whether Steve Bruce quite fancies him just yet. It was a difficult year for him. He came in with a, a lot of positivity. And I think that, I mean, he's admitted himself that the change in, in the way that Norwich played to the way that Newcastle played for the majority of last season, he came from a team who tried to basically let him attack whenever he wanted and who had a lot of the ball. And he came to a Newcastle side who uh, tended to sit offside. And, he, and he, defensively, I think he struggled. I think particularly when Alan Sat-Maximan was down his side. Um, they, they sort of struggled for cover on that side. But then he also had, he, he contracted COVID, which wasn't revealed until later on in the season. And then also he had a bit of a hernia problem, which was only operated on after the season finished. So I think there was various different factors. He also, I mean, also you've got to remember, and we sometimes forget the human element, that Jamal Lewis moved away from home for the first time during, a, during lockdown, essentially. Difficult for for a young for a young lad that that can't have been easy, I'm sure, and to to have moved away up to here with everything that was going on and particularly struggles on and off the pitch contracting COVID. So, I think that we will see more from going forward. I still think I actually think he should be ideally suited to being a wing back. He hasn't been in the side. I think that that suits him more in many ways to being a, a full back because it maybe takes away some of that defensive responsibility from him. I very much expect Matt Ritchie will start the season as left wing back, yes. but in games where Newcastle maybe need a little bit more pace and also given Matt Ritchie's age, can he play necessarily every week? I think Lewis will get opportunities and I still think there's far more to come from him. On the other side, um, Mankeel's had a couple of injuries in pre-season. He came back off the bench at the weekend, but it it seems that very much Jacob Murphy's in pole position to start the season as right wing back and, and that looks to be his position going forward. I think that he is the most improved player Newcastle have I agree with that. the last yep. year or so. Developed into that right wing back role really well. I think he's really improved defensively because first half last season he was struggling, but he's brought a lot more uh, know-how and and sort of nous to to that position. Signed a new contract, and you can just it it, it sounds sort of cliched in many ways, but when you actually just watch the videos, there was a video that the the NUFC TV did with him over the summer where he was sort of they were showing photos of him when he was young and also playing for Newcastle, and just that passion really does shine through, and it, it can't help but sort of make you just, just warm to him even more. And I really, really hope that Jacob Murphy continues to do well because I think he's brought a heck of a lot. He He's able to get the byline, get crosses in, 
And uh, yeah, I think uh, I think that's his position to lose at the minute. Do we have a blossoming George Colt and um, Isaac Hayden romance kind of thing going on with you and um, and Jacob Murphy here? Is this uh, is the butterflies in the tummy? Is the hearts in the eyes, Chris? What's going on? I think at the moment it's more of a sort of infatuation, but it may develop. <laughs> it's very much one way, one way uh, traffic, though, isn't it, Chris? He hasn't reciprocated <laughs> just yet. <laughs> not, not at all, no. <laughs> Fair enough. We'll see how that develops then over the season, Chris. You can let us know. Well, I will do. I will do. And hopefully, uh, Jacob, <laughs> if you're listening, then wink, wink. <laughs> Hit Chris up. Give him your digits, I believe, is what the young people say these days. Um, goalkeepers. Uh, Freddie Woodman's been playing quite a bit. We've had some awful uh, luck with injuries and illnesses and all sorts of stuff. Carl Darlow testing positive for COVID. Uh, but Freddie Woodman, it's been nice to see him get a chance between the sticks. Um, he's, you know, he's been a talent uh, on the radar for a number of years now. You know, England youth player and won the World Cup as well, didn't he, with with England youth team. And he's a, he's a, he's a He's a good talent. Is is this a chance for him to state a claim for that number one shirt, Chris? Could you see him uh, usurping Martin Dubravka? I, I don't see it in the short term. I mean, as well as having written about Jamal Lewis in re- recent weeks, I wrote about Freddie Woodman when uh, it first became clear that he was going to be playing for a large part of pre-season. He was on the verge of signing for Bournemouth alone. He was down on the south coast ready to, to actually move there. And then... With Carl Dahl, with uh, sorry, with Martin Dubravka already out with a with a foot injury, he, he broke a uh, bone in his foot. Carl Dahlo then contracted COVID nineteen, and then subsequently, uh, Freddie Woodman had been brought back up, and then both he and Mark Gillespie had to isolate. So in pre season, Newcastle actually had Dan Langley starting the first yes. couple of games, and also had a sixteen year old goalkeeper on the bench because they had so many issues. Incredible. But subsequently, come back then. Then the last couple of games, Woodman has started. Darlow wasn't in the squad last weekend, and so for that reason, I think that that we're very much looking like Woodman is going to start against West Ham. Certainly, that's what Bruce said. He's in poor position to do so. But do I see him being there long term? I think with Darlow, unless he has a lot of uh, after effects of COVID nineteen, hopefully, fingers crossed, he won't. Hope, fingers crossed, he has a full recovery. I think the likelihood is that that Darlow will return to to goal at one point, and then and then Dubravka maybe a little bit further down the line. What that means for Freddie Woodman. It's a it's a question. It's hard to answer because can Bournemouth just wait for so long for Freddie Woodman? They have to find their own goalkeepers. Where can Newcastle send Woodman? Where he's going to be number one now? Most teams have already brought in the yeah, players for number one, so it could it could end up being a season where Woodman starts and makes his Premier League debut, which is great in one sense. But then the rest of the season, he may play just a handful of games and then be second or third choice until until January, when then he might want to push out for a loan deal so it's a bit of a it's a bit of a difficult situation for him. it's it is it's a strange situation really isn't it because Freddie Woodman's the kind of player that you would want to kind of keep around the club now and have him have him on the bench ready to go if there's any if there's any injuries or you know if, if Dubravka has to have any kind of long-term uh, stint out uh, out of goals uh, and you would want to be able to bring him in and give him them opportunities wouldn't you but at the same time you've got Carl Darlow there who did so well in the first half of last season uh, covering for Dubravka, it kind of would feel slightly unfair on Carl Darlow, wouldn't it, as well, if you kind of just pushed him to one side and brought Woodman in. But then you've got that tricky thing of, you know, keeping Woodman around and him not playing. And it's, you don't want to stunt his development. You don't want to, uh, you don't you know, you don't want to knock the lad's confidence. So it is a really funny one, this. And Newcastle have been well stocked with goalkeepers for a while and it's starting to catch up with them now, isn't it? Yeah, it's a strange sort of positive which has turned into some way of a negative for them individually. But as Finney Castle, I don't think this is certainly another bottom half Premier League side who have their sort of depth between goalkeeper. But the thing is, Woodman is seen as this real 
the positive uh, up-and-coming player, future number one. But I still don't see the pathway yet where he becomes the number one because I was told that if Swansea had been promoted, Newcastle wouldn't have wanted him to go on alone there either, even to get Premier League experience because Swansea would have been their sort of rival. So at what point does he become ready for the Premier League? He wants to play. He doesn't want to be sitting on the bench all season. So how that develops, I'm not really entirely sure. How old's Freddie Woodman now, Chris? Just jog my memory. He's 24, I believe. So, uh, so yeah. we're getting to that point, aren't we, where he's he's really going to need to start playing some first-team football soon. Yeah, and I mean, he has been for that. He's experienced that over the last, after a frustrating time a couple of years ago when Newcastle wouldn't send him out alone because he wouldn't actually he wouldn't actually sign another contract at that stage or they hadn't agreed another contract they wouldn't send him out on loan that stunt development then he's now been number one at Swansea the last two years played 90 odd games in the championship and he wants to continue experiencing that Fair play he's not going to want to sit on the bench for the rest of his career is he so uh, let's move on uh, strikers as well um, we all know Callum Wilson's fantastic uh, return last season I mean he was one of the high points of the uh, of the entire campaign last year and he's started off again this, uh, this pre-season and knocking the goals in and and Dwight Gale as well, a couple of goals against Norwich City the other day. Um, can he be? Can he be an answer to the to the the shortage up front? Is he a, a good enough uh, foil for Callum Wilson, or is he a good enough replacement for if Wilson is injured? Last season would suggest not. I mean, he didn't score enough goals, and I thought towards the end of last season he looked off the pace a little bit. If I'm perfectly honest, when he came on in matches, it was interesting at the weekend. Obviously. Scored twice, took both his goals very well. Beautifully, didn't he? First, he did. Yeah, really good finish. The second one as well, sort of instinctive finishes too. And Steve Bruce again said something about preseason there, and that the Gale hadn't had a preseason for the last couple of years. He had picked up injuries at that point, and and maybe maybe that did did affect him physically. I'm a little bit sceptical as to whether he is definitely the say if Callum Wilson was to. God forbid, pick up a serious injury, then would you want Dwight Gale leading the line regularly in the Premier League? I don't think, given what he's shown over the last year or two, that you would. But he could be a good I backup striker, though, can't he, Chris? He could, he could do a job as a backup striker. Yeah, I think coming on late in games, particularly if Newcastle are going to play this sort of way, give him a bit of support up front, I, I think he could be a decent backup striker. And I also think that sometimes he doesn't get the, the respect maybe deserves. I thought that last season it was curious because Steve Bruce kept over the last two years has kept talking about how much he likes Gale and rates him and how he's tried to sign him before and then he didn't really give him the opportunity perhaps yet. that perhaps that was because of these fitness issues then perhaps that's part of the reason why he didn't feature as much last year but he, he was given a new contract towards the end of last year which I think a lot of people queried but if Newcastle don't want to spend money on a striker to even bring in someone of the maybe the equivalence of Gale you'd be talking 10-15 million which they just simply don't have that's fair. Um, and also, obviously, the Chris, the uh, the question on everybody's lips, this is the one thing that everyone wants to know. Where does Jeff Hendrick fit in uh, to <laughs> to the team this season? Do you see him playing as a striker? He's, he's been deployed there a couple of times in pre-season. Um, are we looking at 35 or maybe 40 goals from him this year? Um, do I see him starting as a striker? No, it was made clear by Bruce and the club that when he came on at Rotherham to play up yeah. front and did score, actually, he was a very good header, to be fair, and um, yeah. that was very much absolutely. Um, that, that was very much just out of necessity because Newcastle had a few issues that week. Sam Maxwell was out ill, and then they also had Wilson was out uh, injured, and and Almiron wasn't back yet, and so they were deprived of, of a few players. Yeah. Um, but Hendrick, I think, is very much going to be a squad player in midfield. He can cover a few positions there. Um, if Willett comes in, he's certainly going to, not going to be a starter. But I think to have someone on the bench, albeit as I'm sure a lot of Newcastle fans see, is an underwhelming presence. I suppose the fact that he can cover quite a few positions, um, even striker maybe, uh, works in his favour. <laughs> 
So not 35, 40 goals this season from him then, no? Don't say that. Just the 20. Oh, right, OK. Well, it's a bit of a disappointment, but never mind. So, Chris, how about how about youngsters as well? Charlie J on the Athletic app uh, has asked, uh, can we see Bruce bringing in any youngsters? Is Elliot Anderson going to be around the first team or will he go back to the under-23s? Well, with Elliot Anderson, the issue has been that he's unfortunately had a hip injury for the last few months and so he didn't feature towards the end of last season. He came back, was there at the very start of pre-season and training, but the, this problem has persisted and so um, he isn't unfortunately going to be in and around at the start of the season. I think they're an idea he would like for him to go out on loan, but that may be in doubt now as well. Certainly, I think that those close to, to Anderson wanted him too because I think that he needs game time. But someone who has impressed during pre-season is Joe White, who's another 18-year-old attacker midfielder. He played in a couple of the matches, came on and did really, really well at Burton and then started at Burnley in the behind closed doors game and he's just, he sort of he's shot up in size over the last day, sort of six months or so and he's he's got a really really good pass on him uh, got a really good eye for playing a ball through and Steve Bruce had actually called him to train with the first team squad pre-pandemic and then sort of with with the pandemic and everything that hadn't called as many players up but this summer he's he's sort of taken his opportunity so I think there's a chance that he could maybe get into a couple of match day squads at some point. Interesting stuff. There's a few of the younger players coming through, and of course, uh, Steve Harper is now the uh, the academy director slash manager uh, up at the up at the training ground. So it's a it's a nice move for Steve. That it's a good job to have. Yeah, it's something I think he's felt he'd be ideally suited for for a long while. Obviously, he was initially Steve Bruce's uh, one of his assistants, and then he took over on an interim basis when uh, George Joyce left the club earlier this year, and then over the summer has has assumed that role. Uh, fully and I think that he's ideally suited for it he seems to have really impressed some people up there he's already making changes uh, trying to be make it an easier pathway or a, a more straightforward pathway and more connectivity between the under 23s and, and, and the first team and so I think yeah he's a really good addition there as someone who's come through that system as well I, I really think that's a positive move Fantastic stuff, right then let's move on Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. So, in other news as well, uh, Nick Miller uh, has graded all of this season's Premier League kits for the Athletic, and Newcastle United, we got four out of ten. We were kept off the bottom spot by Chelsea, who got three out of ten, so second worst kit in the Premier League this season. Uh, Chris, what do you think? What do you think of the new shirt? This that mad magic eye number four created by the the sponsors logo. Uh, it's made a bit of a mess of what would otherwise be a pretty decent first kit from Castor and their new supplier. It is. It has, and it's one of those things that once you've seen it, you can't, can't unsee you it either. Can't see anything else. 
You can't see anything else. It doesn't matter what you look at. The second somebody pointed that out to me, I was like, oh, I wish I hadn't seen that because that's all I'm going to see now for the rest of the season. It's ridiculous. And it is it is a shame because, uh, I mean, there's been a lot of speculation around this custodial Actually, Again, on The Athletic, you can read this. I went to see Tom Bean, who's one of the co-founders alongside his brother of, of Castor, who have really taken a big gamble on this Newcastle deal, I think, in many ways. It's the biggest deal they've done so far. I understand. Newcastle announced it's a long-term deal. I understand it's six years. And then it's also uh, cumulatively the, the, the most expensive kit deal in Newcastle's history, the most lucrative. And um, they're, they're, they're basically self-branded sort of challenger brand. They want to, they want to come in and disrupt the market they they're thinking big they're thinking big quickly and and they seem to that they, they went to rangers obviously following mike ashley there they've also had connections with the business there they've also obviously then come in and and sponsored newcastle when mike ashley's here i think to be fair that, that when they were agreeing that deal they thought that mike ashley wasn't going to be here much longer and then for them from a commercial point of view probably would have made a lot of sense to be taken over and to be joining a club that was hopefully being taken over on the up but instead these sort of rumors as to oh mike ashley shareholders of the Ruben Brothers shareholders, they're adamant that they're not. They've denied that there is any relationship there beyond sort of purely business in this sense and that they just have to take the opportunities they get. But in terms of in terms of the actual kit itself, yeah, it's, it, it's a bespoke kit. Now, they've designed them all yeah. individually, whereas a lot of the Puma ones Newcastle had were sort of uh, basically you'd ha- you'd almost have a template kit Templates, for so many yeah. of the different clubs and they'd just change the colours. So in that sense, I think it's a positive move, but equally, yeah, the, the, the four just sort of... Yeah, <laughs> just that, jumps that off that shirt doesn't it just jumps the thing is you could put any other sponsor logo on that shirt and it would make it instantly better and it's no you know it's no slight on funny 88 or anything like that it's just the way that sponsor is designed it just creates that giant white number four at the top it's very strange anyway the 634 million dollar question chris what does a successful season look like for newcastle united particularly in the eyes of steve bruce and also obviously in the eyes of mike ashley so I was I was asked this question in a for a written preview for the Athletic as well, which should go out in the next day or so. Um, and I think that's a difficult question to answer, certainly because because survival wouldn't certainly, in my view, be classified as quote unquote success because Newcastle have survived each of the last few years. And why should why should Newcastle United celebrate this? It annoys me when fans of other clubs sort of look down on the fact that Newcastle fans want and believe that their club should be at least striving to be better why is why is that something to to look down on i think that's how, what all fans should be allowed to dream and, and want to dream so i don't think survival would count as it I, th- I think if newcastle were to finish comfortably mid-table go on a decent run in the cups and actually develop a style of play if they stick whether it's this five three two and and primarily on the counter-attack, but also building between the lines and, and show a way that they are moving forward as a team, then relative success, I think, that would bring. But the issue is, given that the takeover isn't going to happen, at least in the short term, um, trying to trying to determine what would be success at a club where the owner definitely doesn't want to be there and has no real ambition to progress it too much is a very difficult question to answer. What about you? What what would you say? Is there something you could qualify as success this year? Well, yeah, like you say, it's not survival, is it? I mean, that's bare minimum for me. That isn't success. That's that's you know that that's the least we should expect from this club is to survive. Um, success to me would look like 
the, the top half of the table, maybe it's the top ten. I know that's a lot to ask. But based on where we finished last season, we had a strong finish. We you know, we, we did pretty well. We managed to get some points at the end of the season and put a good run together. Um top top half, top ten would be I think that would be a success. I think that would be a successful season. And also like you say, given having a real crack at the cups as well, because you know the the mood around the team and around the and around the the city just changes so much when there's a cup run, um, you know, and, and going away to those games like myself and George went away to that West Brom game in the in the cup and it was a fantastic night out and and just the the, the entire spirit of of the fan base lifts from those occasions and it, it would be great to see some more of those uh, those those types of games. Um, but yeah, like you say, I mean. Survival isn't enough for me this season. I think the club needs to start progressing. And I know it's in a position where it's difficult to do that because of the takeover or the non-takeover. Uh, but I, I do think we have to make the best with what we've got. We can't just allow the club to drift. Uh, and, you know, Mike Ashley's kind of got his hand off the tiller at the minute and the club just seems to be drifting along. But hopefully, hopefully there'll be some resolution where that's concerned soon. But in the meantime, we have to do the best that we possibly can. They owe it to, they owe it to the fans. They owe it to the city. They owe it to the players that they've got in that squad as well, who've you know, who've came here and who, and who play every week. Uh, and it's it. They have to put some kind of effort into making this club uh, progress. And uh, otherwise, what is the point? You know, what is the point of everything? If you, if you don't try and win, and you don't try and be the best that you can be, what is the point? That's what sports all about, isn't it, Chris? Yeah, yeah. Very much agree with all that. Absolutely. Uh, and finally, the most important question that we've possibly asked today, John Wilson uh, has asked, when is the quiz back, Chris? When's the quiz? Chris, Chris, when is the quiz? Quiz, when is the quiz back? <laughs> well, I mean, I don't know why you're asking me as if I have any sort of editorial control whatsoever over this. I, <laughs> I just... I just turn up and like this is this is this is not something I, I don't make decisions that's not we kept it back job. because we know how much George loves it that's why well exactly yeah he didn't he's, want to do it without him he'd feel left out wouldn't he well that's where he's actually been for the last fortnight he's just sitting in his room just trying to come up with quiz questions he can actually answer that's what he's been doing constantly going through Wikipedia looking at <laughs> which which clubs you and Gufran played for <laughs> Oh my god! Well, I mean, let let us know if if you want the quiz to come back. Let us know. Get in touch. Give us a uh, give us a, a follow and a, and a message on Twitter or on the Athletic app, and let us know if you want us to bring the quiz back. I enjoy the quizzes. I think it's nice to do a nice thing to do. But you know, if the football was a bit better, we wouldn't have to do a quiz because we could talk about the football more, couldn't we? Yeah, but we can't ask for too much, have we? No, no, that's silly, isn't it? Just what do we expect? Uh, but anyway, let's let's see what you think. Shall we do the quiz or not? We're not sure. We'll find out. Uh, right, we'll have to leave it there. Plenty that we couldn't fit in today, unfortunately. Uh, but rest assured, uh, we'll be back next week. And if all goes according to plan, we'll also have George's cheery disposition to brighten our pod vibes. Don't forget to get yourselves along to The Athletic uh, or all Chris's hard graft would have been completely in vain and absolutely nobody wants that, especially Chris. Uh, here's that offer again. Uh, for subscriptions, if you subscribe to The Athletic before the start of the new Premier League season, you'll get a 33% discount. That's a third off the regular price. And you'll get the same great analysis, in-depth features and meat-related chat from Chris Woff uh, and all the other very best football writers around, as well as ad-free versions of all of the podcasts, including this one. So get yourself along to theathletic.com forward slash Newcastle pod before the 15th of August for a third off the price of a subscription. That's theathletic.com forward slash Newcastle pod. That's it. Thanks a lot, Chris. Good to see you, mate.
Thank you very much. Good to see you as well. Happy new season. Yes, come on. Let's have it. <laughs> what could possibly go wrong? Uh, there we go. Well, the next time you hear from us, uh, we'll have played a football match. Weird. And even after the last 45 minutes, we can't really say much more than that. Fingers crossed there. Look after yourselves. Cheerio. Take care. We'll see you soon on Pod on the Time. Athletic. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub an official partner of The Athletic.